0: radio station
1: if you like what you're listening to
0: it's time for dr lisa gives a shit hi everybody i really give a shit i'm thinking about you and and i i i'm concerned i care i want to know what's going on with you um, we are really lucky. We have uh, this really amazing artist in studio today, Matthew Weinstein, and uh, we're going to get to him in a minute. Um, there was something I was going to say, which is that um, – oh, well, I wait. There was something I was going to tell you guys, and I was – got in this conversation with Matthew, and now I don't remember it, but I'm going to come back to it. So – Let's just say that um, we are going to have a call-in number. So, if you want to call in, it's seven one eight three nine five three seven three one. And I'm coming from I'm coming to you at Radio Free Brooklyn, the best station in the western entire western hemisphere. That is, and. Um, so I hope you saw the uh you know my favorite thing is uh that speaking of art is that uh how Donald Trump has become like my favorite performance artist of all time. I just think that like what he's accomplished in his in his like mastery of the media is beyond anything anyone could ever imagine and um I'm giving him like a shout out. I'm giving him like a perverted shout out like you're you're you've you've accomplished something really amazing, but nothing that you recognize in yourself. There you go, Donald Trump. Screw you. Okay, so let's get let's get down to business. I want to tell you what's going on here. So, Matthew Weinstein. The reason I invited Matthew Weinstein on here, Weinstein, Wein, Stein. Stein, Stein, like my aunt Henrietta, Henrietta Stein. My mother's name was Ethel Stein. I come from some Steins, from Jew, Jewy Steins. So Matthew, say hi. Hello. There. That's Matthew. He's here. So um, what I was saying to Matthew was that um, it's really interesting to me because the reason I thought of inviting him in here is because – or I really wanted to get him in here really, not thought of, was that I think that um, a lot of the stuff that, he, that I noticed him talking about on Facebook, he has a real presence because he has a really like balanced and yet very insightful – And I'll say intelligent, a viewpoint that I really, really respect about the art world and the politics of being an artist and all that stuff. And so when I did research on him, knowing he was going to be on the show and I didn't want to sound like a fucking idiot that I just invited him on here and I didn't really give a shit. I actually read a lot of – I tried to read as much about him as I could uh, in the time I had, whatever. Um, I'm writing a book on you, Matthew. Okay. <laughs> uh, so anyway, I read a lot about him, and I looked at a lot of his work, and I got to tell you folks, if you don't, if you're not familiar with Matthew Wein- Weinstein's work, it's fucking like I am blown away by the complexity, the 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 magnitude, the the beauty, the polish, the thinking, the it's like really fucking complex shit. Right, Matthew. Yeah, uh,
1: yeah, I try you to make it, it simple, but I, I fail at that. Okay,
0: so it's really, it's, it's really. He fails at that. That's so <laughs> self-deprecating. I think that's really sweet. I love that about you. I like you, Matthew. <laughs> I just decided I like you. We just met, but now I really do like you. Um, so the thing is, is that it just really surprised me because, um, yeah, I had no idea, and I think it's actually. Uh, Credit to uh, Matthew that he's actually humble about all that stuff and that it seems like he puts it in a different category that he isn't – I think he's got integrity and focus on his work and that's separate from his uh, art, world, politics, business side. Is that true, Matthew?
1: Yeah, that's the constant discipline.
0: It's a discipline. See, that's why he's a good example to have in here to discuss – um, the art world and being an artist, which was really my intent. But after going through all this stuff, I just want to tell you this is what I want to try to explain. His work is so complicated and so deep and so multifaceted that I can't possibly explain it. And if I try to describe his work, With him, it's just going to take up the whole time, and frankly, it's going to be fucking boring. It's just going to be boring because we're going to be talking about stuff that you really need to see, right, Matthew? Did I alienate you when I said that? No, no, No. there's
1: there's a website, so you know.
0: But I I just just so you get get an idea, okay? Here's some quotes from the bios that I read. Okay, Uh, Weinstein Weinstein's diverse background includes theater, acting, film, screenwriting, design, and painting. Weinstein works exclusively in 3D animation and transfers the technical and narrative concerns of this medium into the art world. And you studied computer you – you have a B.A. from Columbia. Yeah,
1: in art history. In art
0: history. Yeah. And you've done some art you – you've written criticism.
1: Yeah. When I was at Columbia, I was writing um, uh, for Art Forum. Mm-hmm. And I'm writing now for Art News Online. Okay. And I wrote a lot of catalog essays. And I've always written a lot. Mm-hmm.
0: And then you also have a degree in computer animation? No, or did you I, just study I went, that? I went,
1: I went, I did like a semester when I got interested in it. Um, but then I realized that the money I was spending on the school, I could actually just be spending on computers and people to help me learn the software. Oh. So I kind of learned by doing.
0: That's probably um, because you were pretty focused on what you wanted to learn. You weren't in the ex- – like. Try you didn't need to try all the different classes to find out. Right? Yeah, I was older
1: than the people in the program, and exactly they needed more guidance than I did.
0: Um, and also, um, just just to so you really understand, you really need to go to Matthew dot com and look at the work. There's some really amazing animation, completely unique stuff I've never seen before. I mean, I kind of want to have like I want I want to go to like a, a screening of your films. Have you had that? Have you had that recently?
1: Uh, there will be an exhibition in October. I don't know the exact Next date. Next month? Uh-huh. Yeah. Of your films? We're showing, uh, we're installing the film, and I'll be showing a few paintings. But mostly the whole gallery will be uh, devoted to one new film.
0: See, there you go. My wish just came true. What What gallery? Is it Son of Ben?
1: No. It's uh, just It's Son? Go- Son clothes. I left Son of. Benzel yeah, that's ago. what I thought. Yeah, uh, Jacob Lewis Gallery on Twenty Sixth Street.
0: Awesome. Okay, there you go. Oh, we got to put in a plug, yeah, an honest good. plug, without even trying to bullshit, pretend. Um, he's also in a lot of important collections: the Metropolitan Museum of Art, the Rubell collections. The uh, he's shown at the, he yeah he's he's a big deal, and you should go look up his work um, because we. That would be a whole show and we don't have time to concentrate on that. That's okay, Matthew, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So here's one of the things. Here's a couple – here's the two things about me, about you that surprised me that I learned. Um, One of them is that you're dyslexic. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Is dyslexia big – was that a big factor in your upbringing?
1: Uh, Huge.
0: And how did they find out you were dyslexic?
1: Because um, my mother refused to believe that I was stupid.
0: Okay, And before we get, I want to go back to that. but before I want you to understand that Matthew's from a fucking genius family. Matthew, does that do people know this about you?
1: About my father and that he was a very good scientist and everything. Your
0: father – well, you grew up in New York City and your father, Bernard Weinstein – I grew up in New
1: Jersey. I was born in New York City.
0: Oh, okay. Jesus. Okay. Well, we're going to go back into Wikipedia. I've got some work cut out for me here. I can tell. Um, So Bernard Weinstein, he headed the – the Comprehensive Cancer Center at Columbia University and has been credited with helping create the whole field of molecular epidemiology. Epidemiology. Yes. And um, one of his students even won a Nobel Prize, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, so you see what I'm saying? I just want you to understand that Matthew's from like a fucking brilliant family. There's no way, two ways around it. Um, You can't hear you? And um, we're having we're having a little bit of really can't hear you. We're, ha- we're we we want to hear Matthew more. Can we hear Matthew better?
1: Hello, can you hear me? Ah, yes. Now I can hear myself much better.
0: Wow! Did you pull it all the way up? Yep. All right. Wow. Okay. We're learning. Anyway, so so. Um, Okay. So I want to go back. So, anyway, I want you to understand that Matthew's from a really intelligent family. They recognize intelligence, blah, 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 blah. So, Matthew, go back to let's talk about your dyslexia, the whole thing with dyslexia, because that's really from being from such a smart family and all. Like, what was that? How did that come up? How did you, what happened there?
1: Uh, I think I was in fifth grade, mm-hmm. and uh, I just had a teacher that thought that I wasn't, um, you know, performing for whatever reason i mean my biggest fear in life is that actually i'm actually stupid because and just like there's a there's like a thing like you're dyslexic is 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 you're actually just stupid but you're from family that put a lot of money into your education oh (laughs) i think a lot of dyslexics feel that way like you never get over the idea that you're the belief that you might be stupid
0: Ah, interesting. It's like a blow
1: to your confidence that happens, you know, at a certain level. It's sort of like when everyone starts growing and you don't, or right. you know, everyone's got boobs but I don't. When everyone's learning how to read and I'm, I can't.
0: So what ha- what happened? And you have two sisters, older, younger. What's your birth order?
1: I have two older sisters.
0: Ah, so that must have been like you're also being the youngest, so you're a little bit behind. Just. By like you know they're bigger and they can ride bike better or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah, like, yeah. It's I mean, just
1: natural too. They're good at school and everything.
0: Yeah. So what happened? What were you, were you not good at school?
1: No, no, not good at school at all.
0: Up until fifth grade, I mean they uh, yeah, like.
1: I mean, I was never really. I got good at school in college. I was never great at school because I wasn't good at a lot of college. You can go and just do what you want to do. Mm-hmm. I still can't do. I still have problems with left and right. I I don't know how to read a train schedule. I don't really know how to read a map. Like all sorts of things that just – if someone asks me what time it is, I panic because I don't – I don't know exactly how to do that every time I'm asked to do it. So you're left with all these, like, resi- residual things.
0: Right, because when you were growing up, you didn't think you were that smart. Yeah. And and everybody accepted that you weren't that smart.
1: Yeah, that you just sort of move, you know, that you kind of move slowly to the back of the classroom, and, and that's where mm-hmm. you're just, where you're going to end up.
0: Mm-hmm. Were you in, like, probably a nice private school in yeah. New York, I'm guessing? Not it's, in New Jersey,
1: yeah. In a, in a, oh, yeah. Right, New Jersey, but with yeah. nice
0: kids. I mean, it was, the standards were pretty high,
1: too. Yeah, yeah, very high. Yeah. Everybody yeah. was, you know, bad yeah. parents that were putting a lot of energy into them. Um, so that's also why I was lucky because I had a good teacher that noticed that there was something wrong.
0: Right. So what happened then? How did your life change?
1: Um, I got really interested in art and reading and anything that was, how do I put this, things that you can pull out of yourself, mm-hmm. uh, things that don't have um, standards attached to them were really attractive to me you know like the thing about art that was always interesting to me was the fact that there's there's no final answer to it which means right. that you just have this infinite field of exploration and then you make your own rigorous boundaries you know which happens right. over the path of one discovering what they want to make with art but i thought i was going to be a writer i got interested in theater directing um, i art kind of came Later, a little bit mm-hmm. for me. But, well,
0: know. I'm curious about the writing and then and reading because uh, my understanding, and I'm, I could be very wrong, but that dyslexics, and I think I might even have a little bit myself, is like you see things backwards, or is that just too literal?
1: Well, no, I mean, but for there's different forms. For me, it was yeah. that the the it was more of a kind of what I read and what was going into my head, which just wasn't working, I guess there'd be a diagnosis for it now, like ADD or whatever. This was before diagnosis culture happened, you know, so I was just – so I just went in for like – I just had special help with reading and all that kind of stuff.
0: Right. And so did that change the course of your – School. Oh yeah, life. yeah, yeah. It's a- And you became more confident, or there was always. It's always in the background, I guess. Well, it. what
1: teenager is confident? But I mean, <laughs> you know, I I mm-hmm. was never um, popular or anything. I mean, I had my people, but it was right. So I can't say I was confident, but I definitely became very confident about the fact that. If there was a question about anything that was either philosophy or art or whatever... Thinking. I, yeah, I could hold my own extremely mm-hmm, well. Mm-hmm. So, you know,
0: And, and um, it seems to me that you have a real facility for drawing. Is that true? No, I don't. Huh. How do you manage to make things so perfect?
1: I have people that work for me who are better at d- doing it than I am. I, I initiate projects and then I have this... Uh, I don't know what it is, but I have this idea that things have to be in a a certain level of perfection, kind of unreality. And um, when I can't get there, I hired people that that can get the work there.
0: So there must have been a way – like there must have been a point where – how did you even get started then if you can't do it – I mean – I'm fr- believing me. I study illustration, and I'm frustrated with my ability to draw. Like, how how would you even communicate or get get to? How did you even get to hire? Like, how did you work that out?
1: Well, I kind of went from art history to just experimenting. I used to work for some artists to make uh-huh. money, and I you know I realized that all the painters I worked for—I mean, none of them could draw, and none of them were interested in drawing. I mean, drawing was never part of the art school curriculum. So, in a sense, it wasn't until I worked for artists uh-huh. to make money that I realized, oh, right, I don't. I mean. If I wanted to make figurative paintings, it would be a different issue. But I had no interest in doing it. So in a sense, it it was just for me like – it was like art history or or thought or philosophy.
0: so you managed to see – because I'm from the school of like I could draw a bit and stuff like that. And art was what I was interested in. But I was always competing with the other kids who could draw. It was all based on drawing like musical theaters based – you know, theater in high school or – Middle schools based on how well you can sing. It was it felt like that, but you came from a completely different, un, pretty unique angle. I think.
1: Well, it's why words like talent and creativity like completely freak me out because I I don't know what those things are, and most really good artists I know <clears throat> are not talented and aren't that creative.
0: What does that mean to you?
1: Well, I think the creativity. I think being an artist is a, is anti-creative in that you you start out, and yes, a lot of artists are these kind of children that people would call creative, and it really is like reining it in. So in a sense, you're you're taking your creativity and you're sort of funneling it into something. And for me, creativity it has a sort of childish connotation of like a box of yarn and some scissors, mm-hmm, and you mm-hmm. know, and really like if you look at a minimal painter, you know, who makes mm-hmm. it monochromes. Mm-hmm. I mean, can you really call that creativity? It's it's something very, very different. It's something more interesting than creativity. It's something about saying, here's this whole field of creativity, and I'm going to narrow that field down to this tiny little mm-hmm. thing, to mm-hmm. this rectangle. Mm-hmm. So you shrink the whole the whole spectrum right. of it. Right. So in a way, it's this kind of anti-creativity. And that's also the kind of art I tend to get interested in, is the art that sort of bypasses the sort of multiple impulse of being highly creative and 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 works through, uh, you know, strategies of exclusion.
0: Right. So what from what I read, just to explain it in a simple way, is like it seems like you're really drawn to things that are really abstract, like books that don't necessarily have plots and things like that. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm deeply influenced by writers like uh, Rob Grier. Mm-hmm. Um, I read – I like – I still like old, creaky metaphysics. Um, Mm -hmm. I I like all those things. And also because being – I mean one of the things about being whatever I was, dyslexic or ADD, I don't know what the hell it is. But Mm -hmm. is that I I can't follow things very well. Or I get – it's like if I stop and ask someone directions, Mm -hmm. mid-explanation, I'm so bored. Oh, yeah. That. (laughs) (laughs) That I just want them to go away and so like <laughs> I smile and then I walk off in the wrong direction because wow. I haven't listened to a thing they're saying you know and it it's 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 so I have a hard time that's fa- a
0: relief I feel like I'm <laughs> like that that's a relief so how do you even handle going to art openings that's like a million people got t- talking t- talking about directions well no but that's more I mean <laughs> yeah. I love
1: I love socializing I really right. do like being around yeah. I love being around artists and friends so mm-hmm. but no it's just more like a you know when a movie starts I like get very panic like I'm like god I, I don't know who these people are and what are they doing and they're getting in a car and where are they going and I, I can't enjoy myself. So when I start out on an abstract film or, or novel or some ah. book about metaphysics, I'm like, okay, this is home turf. I don't have to ah. worry about this stuff. All I have to do is is involve myself with whatever this is.
0: Oh, that's so interesting. I, I mean, that makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, I, I kind of get like that when um, I like, you know, like um, – I mean, you know, uh what what is what is that show? Um like let's talk about House of Cards. Like I like it, but I feel like my husband is always coaching me through it as far as, like, the plot points and, like, what happened the last week and last month. Is that what you're talking about, like, forgetting all the plot points? Game, Game you, of Thrones, I, I, that,
1: I like, watch it, it while I return emails because I've lost the thread of it. It's, I like it because it looks crazy, but, like, I yeah. lost the thread of it, like, yeah. so many seasons ago. I have no yeah. idea where yeah. they're going, who are these people, why is it winter? Yeah, you
0: know? yeah, and then I feel, see, I blame it. See, my psychology is such that I blame it on myself and I say... I can't remember.
1: Yeah, well, that's part of it, too. I mean, part of me, you know, I think that basically there's there's a laziness that comes with um, – that comes along with it. I, I feel sometimes that if I had just worked harder
0: – Ah, you, you feel the I mean? same way, yeah. Yeah, but I
1: don't – and I think partially it's true because I think that we all could work harder. But, you know, you have to kind of split the difference in these things. If you just beat yourself up, you're not going to get anywhere. But if you give yourself an out, an ultimate out, you're also not going to get anywhere.
0: Yeah, yeah. And also, like, how important is it to really know the entire details of all the plot of Game of Game of Thrones or House of Cards or whatever show you watch, really? So I want to start asking – I want to go back to your dad because that sounds so interesting to me. Like, what was it like having – having like, what were your parents like? What was that like? What was your, being in your family like?
1: Um, uh, my father was extremely hardworking, very kind. Um and uh was a great role model in terms of uh devoting yourself ex- you know very in a very focused way to something mm-hmm. very abstract and something that was very sort of on the margins of culture and even when he started cancer was on the margins of medicine i mean it it, it was a very small field when he began doing cancer mm-hmm. research so mm-hmm. It was, you know, I, of course, I didn't process this when I was younger, but right. as I got older, it was revealed to me as I learned about right. him that, you know, he was doing something that was not nece- necessarily going to be important, and it ended up being important. Mm-hmm. So, um, and my mother um, painted, made prints. Um, oh, so she was an artist. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, my sisters, I don't know we all, you know, I, I was interested in art. I used to go to mm-hmm. galleries with my mother in Soho. Um, mm-hmm. We used to go to Castelli and Saunabend and all mm-hmm. these places. So, you know, it was, and they had a lot of friends that were artists. It, mm-hmm. it, it was a, uh, you know, diverse, so diverse Judaism, I guess. You know.
0: Mm-hmm. So your mother um, was really interested. She, she, she brought a lot of art into the house. Oh yeah, like and, all, and
1: all the friends that they had who were artists, artists. Were, came from her, and um, right. And my father's scientist friends were more. He had a scientist friends, but that was more. That wasn't necessarily part of the family. That was more his professional thing, and right. he would travel all over doing uh, conferences. Right. So he had a whole social life which we didn't really participate in that often.
0: Right. I imagine, like, I'm, am ch- I'm, t- I'm, I'm, It seems like, did your father, um, I mean, just, just, did he make a lot of money? I mean, um, was he, was he that kind of successful, or was no. it more? More I mean like when you read what he does you you know you picture him running you know whatever being you know being really successful but but now that I'm talking to you it sounds like he might have been sort of more struggling
1: well, he didn't struggle he had a really well paid job at Columbia mm-hmm. um, as he got older and biotech started happening he never worked in the industry he was really pure science but he would be um, invited to consult. Mm-hmm. At biotech companies, so you know there was a greater degree of comfort um, as they got older, and as as his fields became um, more popular,
0: and also, but I, I and we we, mean we just were fine.
1: There was no, there was never any. Yeah. we never had a, a money complaint, and we, and, you know.
0: And I'm not really just talking about the money. I'm talking about the respect and all that. So, did he gain gain stature? Did he gain a surprise? Was it a surprising amount of stature? I mean, well, you know, it's stature that that. Yeah. Respect. He he invented, or he worked on a lot of really important things. There's no way around it. Yeah, so. yeah. But
1: you know, it's like a it's like this micro world mm-hmm. science. You know, right. like no one. I mean, no one. I couldn't. He's written so many papers. I don't know how many times I picked them up when I was younger and tried to read them. It's it's like I, I could eat, more easily read read Chinese. There's no mm-hmm. um, there's no human language in there. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, it is this very cut off micro world and. I know that when I'd, I'd see his colleagues, I saw him mixing in a way which in the end, I think as an artist, I've end up imitating.
0: What does that mean? That's interesting.
1: That, you know, I think that artists, we tend to rely mostly on the respect of other artists. Mm-hmm. That that's sort of what we – how we breathe and mm-hmm. how we – you know, very few artists are going to go to um, – a party that has nothing to do with art and they're like oh you're Matthew Weinstein you know what I mean like there's very very (laughs) few artists do that and even artists who in the art world are 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 huge names in in many circumstances no one would know who the hell they are so that was what science was like and I think you know there's a comfort Uh, in being with your colleagues because they know who you are they know where uh, you're coming from they respect you So Right. And I think that I've – that's how I've ended up imitating. Also, his laboratory I always liked and I think my studio is kind of like that because, Ah. you know, I have people working for me. We pursue different projects and sort of different workstations and different areas and it always feels like we're in a continual state of experimentation.
0: That's really interesting. So did your dad – were you exposed to your dad's um, laboratory? Was it at home? Did he have – did you go to his office? Oh, all the time, yeah. Yeah, we went, went a lot. So you were actually at his office quite a bit. Yeah.
1: I used to play with, like, um, RNA and DNA models when I was a kid and hang out <laughs> with the secretary and, yeah. And mm-hmm. then, you know, when we were teenagers, we'd, like, go there and, I mean, you know, we'd have, like, jobs, like, Xeroxing and collating ah, papers. Ah, and I see. And the scientists that worked for him, a lot of them were family friends, like the ones that – the sort of lifers um Mm-hmm. We're family, friends.
0: So there's a community in a certain way. Just oh, yeah, like yeah. A, absolutely. Which is sort of interesting because when you think of doctors, I mean, you know, or even pe- people working in the medical field, which he is, you think of um, – you don't think of a community like an art community. But this is like – it's interesting to, to science, hear about science that. Science community yeah.
1: is, is an art community. It's, yeah. there's, there's absolutely no difference. And there's the same amount of – competition is that there's very little research money and they're all going for the same grants and but you know the only option in any of these communities is to show up and be nice because ultimately this is your tribe.
0: Yeah, right. And you don't right, fuck with your tribe. Right. <laughs> so, right. Right. I had this impression that from re, you know what before you walked in I had this impression that maybe your father was like a workaholic and not around a lot.
1: Well, he wasn't around a lot, but he wasn't around a lot. It wasn't in a negative way cuz he he you know he would all he would take us each of us to Europe to a conference, or he'd spend a lot of time with us in the summer um, he He was around in that he was a presence and he was interested in us mm, i mean okay you know, he, yeah he's a man of a certain generation, so fundamentally, right. the most important thing for him in terms of time was his work um, right but he was well you know, i mean
0: not even not even a, i mean it sounds like he had a pretty he he was a pretty unusually he was more balanced than you than i would have expected he really sounds that way no no he
1: was a, he was he was around and he was good that's really and, awesome yeah i mean i don't think anyone who has a father from that generation has a sense that their father was there all the time I mean the, the point of men was to work <laughs>
0: well my father I'll just tell you my father was there all the time every evening at, after 6 and he wasn't there ever <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, he was
0: like the most so it's really like quality of time you no, know absolutely. my father was super super distant so what you're talking about um, is a guy who really cared and connected I oh yeah, think. Yeah, yeah 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 and what about your mother did
1: they have a good relationship yeah they did Mm-hmm. They did.
0: So it sounds like a pretty nice, you know, nice healthy background.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, every family. It lost, wasn't perfect. Every family lost their shit in the seventies. Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. like a collective, like
0: mm-hmm.
1: mind fuck. You know, what yeah, I, mean? like no, it, I
0: know. And also, yeah.
1: you mean you have a house with a bunch of teenagers mm-hmm. in the seventies and the whole thing, and you know, of course, there was high drama moments. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I I know people who from from such crappy families that I've never. One thing uh, I've never complained about is is uh, my family.
0: No, it sounds like a really um, it sounds like a really good family to grow up in, with a lot of um, different aspects to um, be um, enriched by and nurtured by. Yeah, and you appreciate it too, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, so, I mean, I, I
1: didn't when I was an obnoxious teenager, well, but you know, in my and my adult life, once my brain kind of grew right. to fit my skull, right? Yeah, I realized, and especially meeting other people out in the world who were Mm -hmm. telling me stories of their families Mm -hmm. that were so sad or horrifying or situations of such deprivation that I realized that really, you know, for me to complain would be absolutely ridiculous.
0: So um, let's see. I just want to um, do a station ID because we're at about the half an hour and uh, remind people that this is Dr. Lisa Gives a Shit. Coming to you from Radio Free Brooklyn, and uh, listen in, listen in. There's some. This is a really good conversation. We're learning so much about Matthew's work, and now we're gonna we're gonna start talking about a little more about him personally and the art world. So um, there were a few things. Um, so anyway, I just wanted to um, ask you a few questions. Um, so we didn't really talk about you. So I have the worst gate. Are you gay or straight? Gay. And do you have a relationship? Have you had a lot of relationships?
1: I've been with the same person, David, for 16 years.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. So was that um, was that a big deal, coming out to your family
1: and all that stuff? How was that? It was a little bumpy. Um, and then... Were they surprised? Uh, my father wasn't. Uh, my mother was. You know, it... it it was a little bumpy because everything was a little bumpy and, and I think that – I don't know. You know – what am I trying to say? I think that people – everyone did their best.
0: Right, right. But what do you mean, mean by – I mean
1: – Because bum- people didn't understand gay people back then. You know oh, okay. they, didn't, they didn't know any. So what
0: year would that have been like – Eighties, 80s, 80s, sometime in the mid eighties, when you spoke to your parents. Yeah, about it? it
1: was also like the height of the AIDS crisis. Oh my God! Right. So you know, the whole thing was oh, that's really the whole fraught. thing was very fraught. So I, I don't. Well, oh, we're not. Blame we're not. Them.
0: No, we don't blame them at all. Yeah, I just want. I'm only. Cu- I'm. I'm uh, You know. I'm only curious to the effect on you. And they <laughs> had. And they
1: had no idea that a gay person could. Even be in a relationship.
0: Oh, right, right, right. You know what I mean? Like all right. this stuff
1: is, is such new information to people. Right. Like still, when yes. I say like I've been with David for 16 years with straight people, they're always like, wow. And still, I'm like, why are you saying wow?
0: Still people are like that? <laughs> yeah, totally.
1: Wow. Wow. And you, like,
0: Well, I'll tell you. You know, when I'm, I moved to New York in 1978 after college, and I have to say um, I was surprised – At um, how many gay people there were, openly gay people. I mean, not that I'm certainly not uh, a narrow-minded person, and I wasn't being narrow-minded. I was just surprised how prevalent it was, and that I had no. This is going on, and I had no idea. This is such a you know, this is so common, and I didn't know.
1: I felt so sheltered. Yeah, and I think they realized how common it was, and that Mm -hmm. you know, they didn't. They didn't. There's a lot of '50s ideology to let go of for them, and the '70s. I keep talking about the '70s. I think was such a rift for people, uh, and, it, yeah. and for people from with a '50s mentality, I think it was a very violent rift because yeah. basically all the things that were supposed to complete their lives, they were informed that these things no longer matter.
0: It was a cultural. I call it a cultural revolution. Really did yeah. you did you feel bad Did you feel bad about like? Um, I wonder, you know, you 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 are protective of your parents and I wonder if you if it was hard for you or if you feel like um and you, you know that you know I'm just trying to be empathetic I think but I'm getting a sense that like it might be hard that you you might feel bad in some way that you you know that you brought that into their lives. I mean not that you feel guilty or that it's wrong but just like that it's it was tough for you but it was tough for well, them. Well, you know,
1: nobody wants to be gay. It just is who you are. I mean, it's not like a straight person is going to be like, God, I wish I was gay. You know what I mean? And and, z- and z- no parent sits around dreaming about their children being gay. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, of course when you... The thing that helps almost everyone when they come out and I've always told parents, like, friends whose kids are yeah. deciding they're gay and, and now all their all their daughters want to be men and everything. <laughs> I always say that, you know, you don't have to worry about them too much because the one thing about people who are coming out is often that you're so shielded by your own narcissism. Mm. Mm. I mean, I I trampled on the feelings of so many people uh. because I was only concerned with myself. And
0: uh.
1: and that's a protective mechanism. Like, I couldn't be bothered. Yeah. I wasn't thinking, oh, gee, this is making my mother nervous or right. my father doesn't understand or my father's concerned. I was just furious that the world didn't all of a sudden say, wow, you're amazing, you know? Right. So. right. And most people I know, like for me, like in terms of gay men, there is Mm -hmm. nothing more narcissistic than a gay man coming out because you have all the entitlement of maleness. Right and then above that you have the entitlement of demanding even more from the world so you're basically just this you know raging source of narcissism so you know i always <laughs> say like you know unless you have a family that's oh. that's punishing you deeply right that's a whole other category but if right. you're just sort of in a sort of normal coming out awkwardness um, right
0: Hey, you're, who wants to talk? You're fine. You know? Yeah, what teenager wants to talk about their sexuality in, on any level? With no their parents. What, we, yeah, exactly. They're no home. one wants to talk about it's embarrassing. that. embarrassing. But it sounds like you have um, a pretty – you sound like – well, you know, you sound, you sound like you're – you know, you've got a pretty balanced thing going. Um, I think that maybe um, you overcoming your dyslexia um, gave you a certain perspective and strength and um, – uh, ability to, like, re reframe things and just good survival skills, man.
1: Well, you know, if you're continually humiliated as a teenager, I mm-hmm. think you end up in a really good place sometimes. Mm-hmm. I mean, at first it was dyslexia. Then I had twitches. And then I had, ah. the, you know, repetitive motion things. And ah. then the gay. And I was like, what the fuck more? It's going to pop out of me. That's embarrassing so you and humiliating. Said, like, so
0: what happened to you? Do you get rid of the motion things and all that? Uh,
1: sometimes I rock back and forth at night, David informs me. And um, I still blink a lot. I have sort of facial twitches. When I get nervous, people can uh-huh. tell because I start doing strange things. Um, you but, know.
0: but it's just like something you don't think about a lot that was just more awkward when you were a teenager. Well, I was teased and stuff. You know. Oh, yeah. So um, <laughs> Of course you were. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: But they went away mm-hmm. as I got older, and as I got more comfortable with myself, and mm-hmm. God knows what all that stuff was. But this wasn't, you know, if I would, if I'd had all that stuff now, I'd be like so on the spectrum or whatever. Yeah, about now. yeah, yeah. But I mean, no, you know, yeah. in 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 my generation, you just. I don't know, it's like there's Matthew, he twitches, you know. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> it's just like
0: <laughs> So let's talk let's talk about the art world. What I'm really interested in is your perspective on like what what's like I wanna know like what you think is changing. I get a feeling like things like you know, you were saying like you're you're saying on Facebook like the role of the artist I think is changing. What's your what's your what's your take on how things are if you're an artist now?
1: Well the things that I mean there are certain things which don't change. You know, uh, the things that I find don't change is uh, artists interested in each other, um, mm-hmm. artists interest in art, mm-hmm. um, uh, the artists uh, support of each other. I've always found kind of incredible. Um, mm-hmm. It really, really does exist. It's mm-hmm. a highly competitive field, but it's really tribal. Like you really mm-hmm. sense that if you, you, you know, unless you have the privilege of existing in some you know off world colony outside the art world if you're if you're dependent on it for you know your support and your career you kind of know that if you you just don't fuck around with people and you should help people if you like their work right right and Um,
0: yeah and people connect through their work like if you you wind up having friends whose work you admire because it's you just get each other. Yeah. And it's a cool thing and it's a very special sort of
1: connection, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think for artist friends, the first point of contact is often the studio visit, mm-hmm. you know, which I, I love that. Like when mm-hmm. someone says to me, you know, uh, lately a lot of people have been saying, you know, can I come by your studio? I want to see what, what you're mm-hmm. doing because I think mm-hmm. more people are starting to notice what I'm doing, especially artists, because mm-hmm. I was so early with the animation and, mm-hmm. you know, um, and I find that that's a very touching and important point of contact for me. Mm-hmm. It, it means more than a lot of other kinds of gestures. Yeah, like let's let's talk get, about get l- drunk or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, exactly. Just it means a lot that they're gonna they're gonna they take wanna... the time out of their day to come see what I do. That's know? that's
0: that's nice to hear that you know that you appreciate the studio visits a lot of times because you're a successful artist. A lot of times we we whatever we. You know, the artists. You know, a lot of artists don't always realize how appreciated that is. Also,
1: what you know, a studio visit is like. It's not like it's a day. You know, I mean, even if you stop by, I mean, it was easier when we all had studios in Chelsea. But now, Mm -hmm. you know, to get to the Brooklyn and get to the the, go to the apartment, it's, it's like it actually, you know, and then you end up yakking for like three hours. So it ends up being a day of your life spent making contact with someone else, which I think is is really cool, and I find it really flattering that someone wants to come do that
0: wow that is you know. really yeah that is really nice to hear um so like what do you think about like um, so this is my sense it's my sense is like the communities like my sense is like everything's going the the gallery system is breaking down and things are going to like uh, art fairs and online do you what do you you what's your take on that
1: I, I think it is happening and it it's not a happy thing because I really like art galleries and I also feel that um, part of the job description of artists, if it can be called such a thing, mm-hmm. is not just making the work but in a sense every year or two years or whatever, you have a show and part of your job is to install that show with your dealer to create an immersive environment and, mm-hmm. and that's being taken away. Um, mm-hmm.
0: Right. And I the find di- that
1: when work goes to art fairs, we're kind of being treated like children. Like, just make your stuff and we're going to like – Right. Don't worry about it. We're just going to hang it on a wall and please don't come to our booth and we'll call you if it sells.
0: I know. I I have to tell you something. I had my first solo show at an art fair in Miami last winter and I love the people, you know, Schroeder and Romero. They're great ladies. But I was just shocked how like little contact you're supposed to have with your own work or your own display. I mean, like you don't get that. Like you have no sense of like how people are feeling about your work. It's like totally removed. It's like they took your children and
1: kidnapped them. It's it's weird. I mean, I don't and I don't blame the dealers no. because this is they spend hundreds of thousands of dollars a year to do no. this stuff and they work their asses off. They and, do, but they hate it. The dealers aren't happy. They don't want to do this. They want to be yeah, in their galleries. Right. You know what I mean? But no. they, they have to or they can't stay alive because that's the only way. It's really hard on them. It's, it's really hard. It's
0: less fun for everybody and it's really hard on them. No no, no question about it. But that's um, how um, that's how things are going, right?
1: Yeah, and the art fair has also kind of created this sort of art fair art um Thing, which is tends to be easily legible work that mm-hmm. is almost always painting. You never see video or technology-based mm-hmm. art or anything in an art fair. Very, very rarely. Um, mm-hmm. They always put the video in some stupid thing like a oh, black yeah. box screening room and like who the hell is going to go in there during the- <laughs> you know I an mean?
0: fair? Yeah, let me just take an hour out of my day. Right. right so
1: I don't – I don't, actually I don't even – I mean one thing I about my videos is that I don't um, –
0: expect people to watch them like linear in a linear way yeah I
1: don't do screenings I do screenings for art students but I won't do screenings um or film festivals any kind of screening I just I, I don't think that there's something I when I when I write these things and do them that I want them to be like that moment where you're reading but you're thinking about something else
0: I mean I find that incredibly generous you know very generous and very unusual well I just um, find it
1: embarrassing to sit there like I did a screening at a museum because I had an exhibition and I, they asked me to do it at a lecture so I did mm-hmm. a screening and I was just sitting there squirming because I just was <laughs> all I could you know I could every time it was like a fairly conservative city mm-hmm. and it was a, you know it was a, a thing with a lot of you know, just like yeah, off-color of stuff, and yeah. every time I was just like, squir- "I got no joy out of it," and it.
0: Aww.
1: So I just felt like you know, the less I have to do that, the better. Also, I think they're objects. I think they're meant to be lived around and not uh, not forcing someone to say, "Okay, you have to sit here for half an hour."
0: Kind of like the way I see, like Empire by Andy Warhol. Like that seems like something that you might have. Just going, yeah. Exactly. In the Background, yeah, yeah. And well, also,
1: you can. I mean, for me, um, you can. They can be on with the sound off in someone's house or whatever. I don't care. I just, mm-hmm. I like the fact that they're just something that you see out of the corner of your eye, and if you want to know more, you tune in. You tune out.
0: You can be. You can consume them in any way. You, you choose. Yeah, to. you choose your
1: relationship yeah. to the pieces, which,
0: which is how. Like, I think I read somewhere you said you could spend like. An hour with a painting, or you could spend five minutes with a painting. Yeah,
1: or, or as most of us do, what is it, uh, 20 seconds? There's some... Is gen- there? Yeah, there's is some... Right? I think that go into... Sh- I mean, if I go to, into a show, if I spend 10 minutes in there and there's five paintings...
0: That's a lot.
1: I mean, that's a long time. That means I really like it.
0: Yeah, that's a lot. So I'm like, disc- I'm disappointed. Disc- there's a dis there's a combination of words that begin with the word dis and um, like what's what's happening because like there used to be so much great art and now I do feel like everything is like you know getting to be like a very common denominator just like all the other cultural you know just like film and all this other stuff so what 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 are we going to do or how how do you how do you find good art or where where do you think there is good art to find
1: well I mean truthfully I I'm critical, so yeah. I've never liked I mean.
0: Oh, so you've never liked anything, so it's well, easy. For I you. mean, <laughs> I'm not
1: I, just because something's. Con- I don't love something just because it's contemporary art. I've mm-hmm. never, I've never been a total fanboy for contemporary art. Oh, okay. I, also, I come from an art history background, so right. you know, like, I'm not like, oh wow, it's contemporary. It's in a contemporary gallery. Mm-hmm. I'm all for it. I'm, mm-hmm. I I I I judge everything. I go to, into every situation with enormous skepticism. So. Mm-hmm. I've never felt like there was a moment I mean looking back at it when I was in college and going to the East Village and there was all this really great conceptual art and mm-hmm. conceptual photography mm-hmm. it was really lively and all we can do is hope that there's people who are who have that kind of energy again I mean it's not going to come from me I've already been mm-hmm. I've already done it so mm-hmm. in a sense like you just have to hope and I, I know you go to Lower East Side and you go to Brooklyn and you see small galleries that are trying you know
0: yeah I guess what's happened for me in a way is that the energy of the art of what I call the art world my art world or something and like what you know I used to love to go to like Soho and stuff like that and and also because I think you're very directed in the kind of work that you do and have always been whereas like I'm you know uh I'm just looking for different ideas that that execute all different ways. So for me, I think I get stimulated by a very broad scope of ideas and work. And I think that, um, you know, I have a harder time finding that to to satisfy myself. But at the same time, I still have a bunch of artist friends that I can hang out with. They're not showing in those galleries and the galleries in Chelsea and stuff like that. But does that, doesn't matter really. I have my people.
1: And I have my work. Well, yeah. I mean, like it's always been you have to carve your own experience out of this giant mass of stuff. I mean, right. there's 50,000 art worlds and they're all orbiting right. around each other. And I think there's this myth that they're all orbiting around this one mainstream art world. But it's not actually true.
0: Right. That's what they're all the, said. They're
1: all in their own little bubbles and they all have their own kinds of support systems. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's like I go to these ga- – guys. you know, you go to a online looking at art and there's some artist who's – selling paintings for $150,000 you've never heard of them they, yeah, they don't right. even look like contemporary art there's like there's a whole there's, thing going right. on and you're like wow there's there's all this other you know like you get so puffed up in New York and the art world thinking that you're at the center and then right. you have to constantly remind yourself that that's just the wrong way of looking at life, and that you have to open your mind saying that there is no center.
0: Right. And there's also just so many directions that anyone's career or path or interest can go in that it's kind of hard to even find one way to, you know, define them, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, I struggle, I struggle like everyone is right now with the focus on money. I mean, it's, it's also. Uh, I this is how I make money so I can't say I'm against money I just find that the conversation like you know I was just the other day I was looking at all these art sites like Artnet and these things they always have Mm -hmm. like collectors top 10 lists Mm -hmm. they never have an artist you know it's always about what people are buying and I think a lot of collectors are intelligent passionate people but you know why are we leaving out the artist voice
0: well, it seems like what's happened is that um, the prices of art, art, art as a, um investment has definitely, I mean, that's, that's changed a lot, changed the art world a lot, I think, because it is a good, it can be, it's like a fun investment. It's like
1: buying futures. It's also, it, it's happening. Mm-hmm. It, the prices are extraordinary. Mm-hmm. So it is news. Just like, you know, they didn't used to publish um, movie grosses. That right, was never an no. issue, and then they started publishing. I believe it was during mm-hmm. the independent film boom in New York, they started publishing like how much swing, Sling Blade made, or like the big independent films, mm-hmm. and that was the same thing. The filmmakers thought it was really disgusting that all right. of a sudden you have, you know. And right. now we take right. it as a matter of course that there's all the grosses are always published. So this is just where we are. This is a change that we'll never. We're never going to go back to a time. Yeah, no. You know? I mean,
0: we can't. No, we can't go back. I'm just. I mean, you know, we. You know, I. I'm. I'm one of those people. That it's like you know, nostalgia is for losers. We got to move on. Um, it just seems that, and I have my own ideas. Certainly, I think everyone does about what they think good work is, where creativity is, where where they get, even though you hate that word, but where you get, you know, where you get your inspiration. It doesn't, you know, it's it. It's so broad, but. Um, the other th- But it seems also that, like, critics used to have mo- much more of a role in w- the way art was valued. Do you think that's true? Do you think that's changed? Oh, yeah. The
1: critical establishment has no real uh, power. I mean, when I first started showing and I had my first New York Times review, uh, the gallery was packed and people bought things because mm-hmm. of it. That That no longer – is true. I don't think critics really give a damn whether that's I don't think critics ever wanted that power because they're not making the money. So no. I think the problem for critics is that there's just no there're no magazines and the online mm-hmm. uh, people don't pay very well or at all. So I think that's the problem.
0: Well, I mean, the career of the critic is definitely like not—you know—it was never like. I mean, it's always been a tough career, and it's certainly not getting any better or any easier for any critic or any writer, really, in any in the media. But um, what seems like it's happening when it, when when I'm when I, I mean, it seems like the collectors are replacing the critics.
1: Yeah, it's the it's the it's the age. I mean, the nineties and late eighties was the age of the critic. I think the 70s and 60s were the age of the artists, and I mm-hmm. think now we're in the age of the collector. Like, they're, they're having their moment, and it would be nice if we could go back to, you know, at least establishing a more strong artist voice in terms of what happens in the art world, but I... I think it's also up to artists. I mean the reason I uh-huh. write I'm doing this stuff for Art right. News is because I think it's important that artists actually start writing more.
0: Right. And I think that's really I think that's like a great takeaway from 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 this conversation is that um artists because critics can't do it. I mean they're that's not what they, you know, they I mean Artists really have to start taking back that kind of power because they're the only ones who can really get get to that, that they're ones making it, that they're ones promoting each other. Except
1: artists have this, I mean, I I think the, I always think that artists maybe have a high, I bet that there's a high um, percentage of youngest children who are artists Uh, or or children who were once had a moment of extreme cuteness who got a lot for free and then the cuteness went away really quickly and they're oh. like, trying to re, trying to relive a kind of like infantile moment of oh, glory. Oh,
0: that's interesting. Because
1: I think that artists have a tendency to infantilize themselves and oh. artists, I mean artists are infantilized. Like that's you become an artist and you're signing up for something where, you know, collectors always pay the bill, dealers always pay the bill for dinner. You know, you're 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 always in a situation mm-hmm. where where you're kind of the child and the, and and the person that's working for you or supporting you is the adults i mean it's really freaky when you get over 50 and you realize that you have collectors who you're treating like they're your parents because they're taking you out to dinner but they're 15 years younger than you are <laughs> it's really no i it's, could see it's that very strange... i could
0: see that because the collectors um the collectors aren't aren't aren't, aren't um yeah, they're not in that world. They see you, they want you to be that.
1: Well, I don't even think they care. I think it's more what we do to ourselves as artists and how we position ourselves as we begin to convince ourselves that. If well I only worked. if I only had a big dealer, then I'd be great. If I only had this, if I only had that, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I've I've had that and it isn't – it doesn't mm-hmm. – you're not on like some fast, easy track for the rest of your life. And so when I think – and then a lot of artists you, – then you can fall back and say, well, I, I am doing something to have a voice. I'm making my art. But that's not enough sometimes. Sometimes then you have to do something outside of your work to – to have a presence. And for me, it's writing. And most artists I know, some aren't good writers. Most artists are pretty good talkers because we talk in our studios to each other, Mm -hmm. to collector groups, Mm -hmm. to curators. That's Mm -hmm. what we do. Mm -hmm. We spend a lot of time talking. So, Mm -hmm. you know. Well,
0: I, you know, I mean, I've, like I said, I mean, I've worked mostly, I mean, I've made money as art director. I mean, I haven't really, you know, I have made some money lately, but... You know, art wasn't about making a living for me. It's been like my second career. So um, it's always been my first career, but now it's actually my career. So um, the thing is, is that um, since I've come from like a background where I'm not really, you know, I mean, I do think that you have to do everything yourself. I come from the place like if an artist is complaining that they're not getting in enough shows, it's because they're not making it happen. Like there's always there's always a place where you can send your work in or you can get something shown if you really want to. Yeah, you
1: can rent a space, which is what happened in the East Village in the early 80s. These artists rented spaces in the East Village and opened their own galleries. And those artists, many of them became very well-known artists. And it was and, a really amazing time. And the whole thing only lasted a couple of years. But it was such a powerful moment. Right. You know.
0: Right. And um, I think a lot of artists nowadays, like I had somebody contact me and say, you know, I really need some representation. Could I, you know, can you help me get some representation? And it's like, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Do you think a lot of artists feel that way? That like they need, they deserve help or something? Well,
1: you know, a lot of people say, you know, art schools aren't preparing artists for the realities of the art world. Mm -hmm. Uh, How do you get a gallery? How How do you do that? And I don't, I don't believe that you can teach that. I don't think that should even be part of the conversation in art school. I think that if you don't have the brains to go to all the galleries in Chelsea and you're in art school or go to all the galleries in Lower East Side or start forming attachments mm-hmm. to other artists, then you're never going right. to figure it out. Right. That No, there is no way to get a gallery. It's not actually a career. You know, it's actually just a sort of organized mess. So. Yeah, you throw yourself into the thing, and then you either get things or you don't get things. I mean, no one ever promised anyone an art show.
0: Right, right, right. And I think um, you do have to have a really, um, y- you know, you have to ha- you have to have a very self um, self w- what's the word self t- taking care of yourself. You have to be able to make the shit in any career, really. In yeah, but
1: art's different. The difference in art is that it it's about fluidity that if you're in art school and you want to be taught how to get a gallery and how to be an artist, then you're probably not an artist. Right. Because art is completely fluid and the things that come out of it are fluid and you put energy into it and then all of a sudden you get a call and you're like, wow, that's weird.
0: Right. Like something
1: good happens because you've actually been working unconsciously towards something guided by your own passion and interest, you know, but it isn't like... How do you write a resume? I mean, there's nothing –
0: you know what I mean? There's nothing to teach. You can't
1: teach these things. It's like how do you – an actor, how do you get into a movie? Like, well, you have to be born an actor. And even then you might not get into anything.
0: I think that um, a lot of people – I mean, I think that art schools have really changed. Because like when I was in college, you know, I mean I studied commercial art. But the idea of studying art was only because you weren't good at something else. Like the idea of studying art wasn't a career – it was just because you, you know, couldn't do math or science or something else. I mean, the idea now, it seems like they actually consider art a career that you can go to school for.
1: Yeah, which I don't think is bad. I mean, I think in a sense, you know, there's a certain power in that. Uh, I don't.
0: Really? Yeah. Like I,
1: what I, do you mean? Well, because I think, you know, people do criticize the 80s as this watershed moment where the mm-hmm. artist became a, a quote unquote professional and I get why that's bad, but mm-hmm. I also get why that's good because mm-hmm. because it means that artists actually are learning how to how to take what they do seriously and sort of not just wait for like the you know chance occurrences where something might happen and that they're more in in control and I think mm-hmm. that it's good you mm-hmm. know
0: yeah and um, I, I think
1: also what what you know you look at how these artists uh, can pull together a graduate show I mean it's the the they're so together. I mean, I never went to art yeah, school. Yeah, I guess you're right. I guess you're right. I never went to art school, but I, I remember, like, lecturing in art schools, like, a lot a long time ago, and there was – it was just – you know, they would graduate with a complete chaos. No, I guess <laughs> you know? you're right. You know I, mean? I
0: guess you're right. Yes, I, 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 I see what you mean. I see what you mean. To put structure and discipline into being an artist, which
1: wasn't always the case. No, it wasn't. And I think that, you know, you're also confronting a city that's mm-hmm. more and more expensive. I mean – I think in, in uh, days before, you could actually say, well, I have uh, 20 years to make this work because I have a cheap apartment and I have a job and I can make enough money. And now it, it's not the case in this city.
0: Well, I think that also um, – but what I do think is opening up is that you really don't need to live in New York City anymore. I think with the art fairs and being – you know, selling art online, I think that's really opening things up a lot for people. Oh, Definitely. Yeah, you need – so we have two minutes. Do you think you can describe in two minutes why 3D animation has turned you into a basket case?
1: Because it ruined everything for me because it made me look at uh, everything as if it doesn't necessarily need to be real.
0: Um, How does – and how is that – how is that bad?
1: (laughs) Because it's this completely obsessional space. And if you're an obsessional Ah. person and you put yourself in that space – you drive yourself completely crazy trying to navigate and perfect and control that space. Ah, I see. It's so way
0: too. Li- it's way too unlimited. It's way too unlimited. Limited. So you have this godlike control over ah. gravity
1: and lighting and texture, mm. and, and and then you're wondering, you know, what do I do in here?
0: Wow, that is that is frightening. So, are you a workaholic? No. So, do you have enough time with your partner? Is he an artist as well? He's an architect. Oh,
1: so um, I'm a workaholic, and that all I think about is art and art-related things. And I only read books that feed into my art. But I, I, in my studio, from I you know I usually leave by six p.m.
0: Ah, oh, wow! Well, and you guys have like fun things that you do together, yeah. and yeah. and does he work a lot as well?
1: Yeah, yeah, he works. He uh, works more than you do, probably. Oh, yeah, because yes. he has his own architecture firm, so he works. Oh. He works. Uh, at least ten to twelve hours a day.
0: Oh, oh, wow! What yeah. a productive couple. Yeah, we're productive. That's good. And um, so we're we're gonna have to wrap this up. But you know what? I want to make this point that M- Matthew like some of the other people we've had on here, creative people, is another great example of somebody who's really balanced and has their shit together. And that's why they're successful. Okay, he's not one of those like crazy, drug addled, whiny, unhappy, miserable people. And that's what I want you guys to know. Get your shit together. Anything is possible. It's all up to you. Right, Matthew. Would you agree with that?
1: Yeah, sort I, of. <laughs> I really miss being drug-addled. Uh, <laughs> I guess we miss that part. No, I read. I'm I read. You know what? I read
0: that you said you don't like drugs, and that because your work is psychedelic, but coffee is actually too much for you.